morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the coaching staff. It is episode number 40, and I am here. Well, I'm not exactly here. We're talking on the phone with Mr. Tony Davis, Mr. Anthony Davis. Tony, how's school going? Uh, we're still in it, so it is going. Um, we are starting as our finals week, so yeah, we're getting we're getting there. I think we end on Friday with kids, and then we can come in on Monday till about one or two, and then we will officially be summer. But we start practice. Uh, we start Thursday this week, so I'm looking forward to that as well. I know you started your camp and all that good stuff today as well. Yeah, yeah, because. You know, I haven't been in school since the 17th. I don't know if you wanted me to remind you of that, Tony. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, 17th or 18th, something like that. A week ago tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I had a nice time last week. Um, Got to do a lot of reading, preparing for my camp, you know, a lot of different. And while you were in school, Tony, I just thought I'd remind you that you you were in school. So, and still are in school. Yeah. In, for the foreseeable future. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we got going uh, with our camp, and uh, we, we, had a, we had a very nice first day. Uh, I got to tell you, I was really, really pleased with our high school camp, our, our junior high and high school camp this morning. Um, I was even more pleased, and, and I don't know how many of my players ever listen to these, but uh, I was so proud of the way my high school kids coached our elementary camp today, first through sixth graders, they were awesome. They were so good. We had we had seven of my players in, and I and I texted them right after that, saying, you know, you guys really set the bar high for everybody else this week. So, you know, and, and with that, Marty, I just thought I think that kids, in terms of those roles they fill for those young kids. I don't know if they ever really maybe understand the importance of it until, you know, further down the road a little bit. But those are moments, you know, winning big games are, are important. Don't get me wrong. But those are moments where I think your, your pride in them maybe even, even more so once they kind of embrace that and become those role models that those young kids can look up to both on and off the court. Yeah. You know, one of the things I tell my kids every year, Tony, uh, is – the kids are not here to have Coach Plum talk to them or coach them or hang around with them. They are here to hang out with you kids. And the example I used today is, you know, if we went to uh, Iowa State camp, you would want to hang out with you. You would want to be around Ashley Jones in, in you know more than anybody else. Or if we went over to the University of Iowa, you would want to have uh, an opportunity to talk to Caitlin Clark or whatever, or be at her station or whatever it may be, you know. And, and that's the example that I used with them. And so you, it is a, a big responsibility of yours to represent the program well and to do it the right way. And like I said, my, my kids just absolutely knocked it out of the park here today. I'm so proud of them. Uh, they did a terrific job. And we've kind of got a revolving door of, of kids throughout the next couple of days to help out. So I, I'm, I, I know... The, the other kids will do a great job and, and I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just really proud of my players. And those are just huge teachable moments, you know, as you see them becoming the young adults that, you know, you hope for and to be those role models and it just, you know, gives you those goosebumps and gives you hope for the future. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, episode number 40, 
And Tony, I've got five jersey numbers for you here. I've got five jersey numbers. I've got two baseball players, a football player. I thought there would be more with this, but I really only found five. Two baseballs, uh, a football, and two basketballs. So, uh, I'll take a stab at one of the basketballs. Okay. Um, Harrison Barnes? I did not have him on the list, uh, but I can add him to the list and then cross him off. That's, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, was Dirk 40? No. 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 Sean Kemp. Got it. How awesome oh. was he? Oh, he was... oh, the rain man was unreal. Yeah. Some of his dunks were just unreal. I mean, yeah, delivered a fair, fair share of facials in his day. Yeah, he did on 10-foot hoops against the best players in the world what we all try to do on Nerf hoops. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the other basketball player is quite the opposite of Sean Kemp in his <laughs> style of play. Um, what, what era am I looking at? Uh, 80s into the early 90s. Very... Perhaps the most controversial player of that time period. Bill Wayne Beer. Nailed it. There you go. All you had to do was say controversial. Yeah, there you go. You uh, said two baseballs? Two baseballs. Oh, boy. But they're all-time greats. All-time okay. great pitcher. All-time great infielder. I don't, I, I'm going to cross off that one because his number in my brain is number five, and that's Brooks Robinson. Yeah, uh, yeah, hot so, corner. Yeah, the hot corner. So now we go in pitcher. Yes, I'll give, forty pitcher. I got. I'll give you a hint. The football player and the baseball player, both born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, where I live. <sighs> football player and baseball, Omaha, Nebraska. Football player and baseball. Crap! I am drawing a blank on this one. Hmm. Uh, one is a running back, or the football player is a running back. From the Bears. The Bears 40. Gail Sayers? Gail no. Sayers. Really? Okay. Yep. Got lucky on that one. Yep. Um, baseball. Same, same era. Same era. Approximately the same age. Shoot. What team? Uh, it'll give it away. Okay. National League. National League, number 40. And I'm not Cubs. sure. Uh, Cubs' biggest rival. Ooh, Cardinals. Let's go with Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson, yes. Okay. Yep. Man, yeah. Gail Sears and Bob Gibson, Omaha, Nebraska. Yes, and uh, I feel like there's one. Uh, Dirk Chatelaine. Local guy here in Omaha. Yeah. Uh, uh, he uh, he wrote a book called 24th and Glory, which is a really good book, if especially if you're from Omaha. Uh, mm-hmm. Check it out. Uh, it was uh, Gail Sayers, Bob Gibson, and Bob Boozer, who played on the 1960 Olympic team. And they're mm-hmm. both roughly the same age from the Omaha area. And he wrote kind of about how these kids all grew up in the same neighborhood. Obviously, it's the 50s and the 60s with the civil rights issues and yep. things like that. And, and Dirk did a nice job with that book. And I can't – I think Gail Sayers had a brother as well that was a really, really good athlete. So, uh, yeah, if you get a chance, check it out. It's a really, really good book. Okay. So, uh, so, episode 40, coaching against 
a rival coach, somebody that you consider a rival, whether it's a personal rival or a program rival, somebody that you want to uh, step into their place or knock them off or uh, people around your school say, we are not losing to blank uh, this year or ever. We, we never want to lose to blank uh, is, is kind of our topic here this week. And, and sometimes, Tony, that you know just as well as I do, sometimes we can not react well to those situations. Yeah, anytime you get emotion put in there and things mean a little bit more, it can make your make or break your season. Yeah, sometimes it can get to where uh, you may not behave uh, how you would write it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got about five things written down here, Tony, and Lord knows I've, I've been in situations, and we'll probably touch on it here. Uh, you know, as we go through it, we'll just see where the wind takes us here, but I'm going to let you take the lead here this week. This was, uh, this was kind of your idea. I like the idea. So I'm going to kind of let you do the Ricky Henderson here and lead off. All righty. I'm going to get a single and then I'm going to steal second and steal third. All right, here we go. So, um, when you take a look at this one, this one's always kind of interesting, you know, when you get into like conference rival with your coaches and, you know, fortunately, uh, throughout the years, as far as my coaching career and stuff is gone, um, I've gotten along with the vast majority of guys and, and gals that I've gone against in coaching. But every once in a while, you run across those who you maybe don't get along with. And those are always kind of an interesting thing to navigate a little bit because, mm-hmm. you know, things can happen uh, during the heat of the moment. Um, you know, that, that maybe you wish you could, could take back and, and do again. And I've had some of those incidences in my career. Yeah. Um, but it's just one of those things where how do you navigate that? You know, and one of the things I was kind of thinking about with this one was, you know, you get through the regular season, your conference race and stuff like that. You go into the postseason. Sometimes the different athletic associations, unions, whatever you want to call them, when they put out the postseason pairings and stuff you sometimes are not with that rival um and what if coaches come calling to you about hey um would you be willing to share a film on them and you know one of the things i'll be honest with you on is that a lot of times i've i've kind of hoped in the conference situation that we have a rule hey you cannot share film on your conference rivals and now with huddle and stuff like that that makes it super super easy um to do that type of stuff i've always kind of hoped that because then it takes the decision out of it for me mm-hmm. um and then the other thing you run across too is if you can't share a film sometimes the last would you mind sharing your scout report and you know i think some of that determines a few things as far as that decision goes one you know is it a rival that there's a healthy respect on that you want to kind of you know, knock them off their perch, you know, knock them out of the conference championship position or whatever the case may be. And just somebody that you frankly don't get along well with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if it's a situation where it's somebody you don't get along well with, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I will share, uh, the, the film unless we have a conference rule. Yeah. And I will also share the scouting report as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and so those those are some kind of kind of the way I was envisioning this going a little bit. I don't know if that was the way you were kind of seeing things going, or if we were going to take maybe a little bit different view. No, I, I think uh, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I, I think we all have those personal. We're all human, and we all have those personal decisions that we have to make. I was uh, my first year as a head coach. My my one year when I was 
at Gothenburg High School in Gothenburg, Nebraska. And we played a school, and they were really good. We were solid. Not great, but I thought we were we, we were we were a very nice team. Very nice team. And they blew our doors off. They played awesome. We played terrible. And they deserved to, to kick the snot out of us that night. But they beat us by 20. And I've always been like, to me, I, I've never played for the the newspaper rankings or to have such and such margin of victory. I've always been like, once you have a team down 25, 27, 30, you've proven your point. You don't need to do anything more than that. I'm going to play my other kids. There's going to come a time where those kids aren't going to play very much. I want to get them minutes when I can. And to me, Mm -hmm. there's no difference between beating somebody by 25 and beating them by 40, you know, if if you're in Mm -hmm. that situation. And, you know, I've been on the other side of that, you know, so the, the coach, uh, for lack of a better way to say, he ran it up on us. I mean, he he was pressing with his starters after we had put our like our JV kids in, and I was I was hot, I was mad, and I, in my youthful exuberance, I said something to him, and I tracked him down after the game, and and you know, and he what you know he heard it from a lot of people, but then like three weeks later, going into the district, he's like, uh, could we have your such and such game? I wouldn't let him have it. I, I I was I was like no I mean you, you have to and I don't know if that's the right thing to do I don't know if I should let bygones be bygones I, I think that's the only time I've never I've ever withheld a film uh, conscientiously from somebody I mean if if I've ever that's the only time I can remember doing it if I've not gotten somebody not gotten somebody a film because of that or, or uh, in any other situation it's just because I've really screwed it up it's not because I did it on purpose uh, but mm-hmm. but. Yeah, that w- that was a situation that happened with me, and you know I was only there one year, so we I was really happy for our kids. The next year they played them, and uh, the kids I coached the year before came back and beat them by like ten or twelve points the next year, and I got a bunch of at the time it was like emails and stuff from those kids. Hey, we we know we beat we beat this school, and and they were really happy. And I was really happy for them. So uh, I I. I just think that's kind of the situations that you're envisioning. And I think you have to be smart about it. Um, bridges that are burnt, you can't, it's, it's hard to put them back together. Um, yeah. But there's also healthy competition. I, I think one of the things I, I wrote down, Tony, is you try not to take anything personally. Um, I, I think that there's certain situations where coaches – say things that they probably don't mean. I think 97, 98% of us are in this for the right reasons. We're in it for the kids. We're in it for their growth. We're trying to be transformational coaches. And unfortunately, there are those 2 or 3% that are transactional and only in it for themselves and their own stuff. Uh, so you try not to take it personally. It's kind of one of the things I wrote down, Tony. Even though sometimes, again, we're human, we're all flawed, but it's hard to do. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin? and all the resources it offers, go to apennantanapkin.com, a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of Napkin. Apennantanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. Yeah, very hard to do. And, and sometimes, you know, 
it's one of those things when you put competition in the the recipe, if you will, it can blow it up. You know, somebody that you might have been friends with outside of coaching against each other, um, it kind of becomes a, a situation where that relationship is is doomed because of competition. But when when you sit back and you take a look at it, like you said, you know. 90 plus percent of the people that are in the coaching profession are in it for the right reasons. You have good, healthy competition when the game's over. Um, you know, you have good conversation. Uh, you know, you, you, you're friends. Uh, but when, when the game is going, you know, you're, you're competitors. But once that game ends, you take that, that competition out of the equation. It kind of lowers the, the, I don't know if I want to stress or tenseness of the relationship a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing that, that I think is very important, like you said, don't take it personally. And one of the things we have to be careful with our words is that once words are spoken, it's kind of like toothpaste that you've pushed out of the tube. You can't put it back in there. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you're measuring your words and you're saying, you know, something that is, is edifying, building others up and, you know, and give people the benefit of the doubt, I think, is another another good rule of thumb there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I had was take that coach, that rivalry, that whatever it may be, and instead of stewing over it or whatever, have it make you make yourself better. Use it to to push yourself to, to make yourself better. Uh, we did in the film room last week uh, the, the big thing on the Lakers and the Celtics, the best of enemies. And, mm-hmm. you know, the stories have been told thousands of times about how Larry would watch Magic from afar and vice versa. And I think you can do that as a coach. Uh, one of the people, kind of ironically, that that happened with with me was, uh, and, and I don't think he'll mind me sharing a couple of these stories, uh, is, is Kelly Flynn. And I was a young coach. I was from the, the Sioux City area. And when I got the head coaching position at my old job, um, we definitely saw South Sioux City as no pun intended, but the red letter date. Uh, Kelly had been tremendously successful, and we were in a we were in a different situation where n- they were not only on our regular season schedule, but they were in our conference. And then more often than not, we were in the same district together. So, like the one year when I was an assistant coach at at, at Scott, we lost to them four times. We lost to them in the regular season. We lost to them in the conference tournament. We lost to them in the district final. We got the wild card, and we lost to them in the state final. Um, and so one of the things that we did and, and we meant this and I, and this may sound weird because I'm going to say this in a way we, we did this with respect. Okay. We, we did not refer to them as South Sioux city. Uh, we would, we would call them the red menace is what we called them. (laughs) And, and I wouldn't let the girls say South Sioux city. We would call them the red menace. We had a different name for them. Because we wanted that to, to be something different. We wanted that to, to mean something different because I felt like if we were ultimately going to get to where we wanted to go, which was to win a state championship at that time, you know, Kelly had won 10 out of 11 state championships or some, some god-awful crazy number like that. And, and so we had to treat it differently. We weren't three hours away and we might see them in the state tournament. And so we just adjust from there. We knew that was, that was going to be something that was smacking us in the face every single year. And so uh, we meant that in respect, but we also, I wanted the girls to know that we're not going to back down. 
and we're not going to back down from them. We are going to come out. We're going to fight. We're, we're not going to. Uh, we're not going to, you know, be intimidated by them. Um, it was done in a way to kind of poke poke at them a little bit uh, within our own program, and and you know, Kelly and I, we definitely got at it. <laughs> you know, I remember one year in a in a district championship game. Uh, the, the first year that when I was, when I was the head coach, it was the first year that we beat him in the district championship game. And there was a play at the beginning of the fourth quarter and his star player went down. Uh, my girl collided with her and you watch it on film and it's been 15, 17 years. My girl was tracking the ball. She came in from the three point line and she watched the ball the entire time. And she just ran into this girl and, and knocked her down and knocked the wind out of her and that type of stuff. And, and Kelly, Kelly starts yelling at me. I start yelling back at Kelly, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it was something where, uh, it drove us. It drove us because that's who we wanted to get by. And Kelly and I liked each other personally, but we joked about it, you know, for, you know, 364 days out of the year, we got along great. But for 90 minutes, three, two, three times a year, we absolutely hated each other. Absolutely hated each other. But it was a healthy sports hate because we both wanted something. And, and the one thing I always admired about Kelly was he didn't give up on that easily. He, he was, he, you know, he very easily could have uh, ridden off into the sunset and, and rested on his laurels. But he kept coaching and kept coaching and kept coaching and he came back and um, he retired this spring, and and I'm not going to go into what I sent him altogether, but uh, I just sent him a, a personal note, you know, essentially thanking him for making me a better coach because I wanted my program to be what he had built at South Sioux City as best as we could. And so I think that's something that you can do to help make yourself better and make your program better by taking that rival and going after them. So I hope yes. that all made sense, Tony. Well, this is a great one because, you know, healthy competition can make both sides better. And, mm-hmm. you know, you hope that you bring out the best in one another. You brought up the Lakers and Celtics. I mean, we could sit here and talk about the Yankees and the Red Sox and Alabama, Auburn, Michigan, Ohio State, those great rivalries. I mean, those are games that are circled on the calendar and mean so much more. And, you know, you've got to, against those elite programs, against those elite coaches, you have to be at your best and you can't be where you were a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. You have to keep moving forward um, as far as things go. And so I think that's a, a great word of advice is that, you know, to make sure that you have that, you circle it. That's the level that you want to get to, that you want to try to attain. One of the, the corny phrases I say with our kids a lot is, you know, shoot for the stars because, you know, we don't get it, you know, or shoot for the moon. I'm sorry. Cause if we don't get it, at least we're up there amongst the stars. And so, you know, just trying to continue to push yourself to get better. And I think anytime a, a program can become what it can become, can reach its potential. It has to have that, that healthy competition that, that drives them, that pushes them to be what they can be. Yeah. And I'd like to think that's the way it was between Kelly and I, it was, you know, a very healthy competition. You know, Casey Hall is one of my best friends, and we went head-to-head against each other years and years and years. And, um, you know, there was 
some great battles and and we won most of them but uh, it, you know we got really lucky quite a few times he he should have uh we, we we caught a break we hit an extra shot we did this we did that and uh, you know so th- that healthy competition there's there's nothing wrong with that so uh what else you got tony yeah I, the other thing i would go is you know to to see them as human mm-hmm. you know i think a lot of times we want to paint them as you know I don't know if I want to say evil personified, but, you know, we, we kind of paint them in a not so good light, but to see them as human, to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, sometimes with coaches that maybe we don't know, uh, we maybe assume some things that aren't true. And then once you start to have those conversations and stuff with them, you see that they're just a regular person like what we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you begin to maybe, uh, text or, you know, Uh, stay in touch with them a little bit just reach out and see how they're doing you know with no longer coaching on the girls side of things um you know i still send some of my my friends that i coached against in the mvc or or whatever other conference i happen to be in i'll just shoot a shoot them a text from time to time just to check in and see how they're doing Mm -hmm. and you know when everything is said and done you know just flawed people uh being a part of something bigger than themselves and, you know, wishing them well, you know, one of the things I, I you know, I've, I've heard a little bit lately is that a candle lighting another candle doesn't, doesn't hurt that candle. And so uh, just make sure we see them as human, give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, reach out to them. But those, those I think are important as well. Mm-hmm. That helps to maybe lower the, the stress and the tension there a little bit between relationship and uh, helps to, helps to bridge that gap. You know, Tony, in that, in that the last statement of yours, you referred to you and I as normal. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to invoke the fifth on that, on that one. So. Was it Frankenstein with Abby normal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wouldn't call uh, another coach that you coach against like Voldemort or or Darth, Darth Vader or anything like that, you know, uh, you know, uh, but no, I, I, I think you're right. I think, uh, when there's, when there's absence in communication, negativity is what naturally sets in. And, uh, if you don't have a relationship with somebody, uh, it, it, you know, you, you can sit there and complain about not having a relationship, but if you don't try to work on that relationship, then that's on you. You know, you can't complain about the relationship if you're not working on it. So I, I think that's uh, a, a big part of that as well. So um, I got to, you know, one of the things that when you get into those rivalry games, when you get into those things with those rivalry coaches, stay focused on the task at hand. Stay focused on the task at hand. Your job is to coach your team. And you can't get caught up in the emotion of what may or may not happening on the other sideline and have it screw up what you're doing with your team on your sideline. You cannot control what is going on on the other side of, of the court or the field, you know, whoever is listening to this. Uh, So we tell our kids all the time, control what we can control. Well, I can control what we, our team can do. I can't control what coach Smith or coach Johnson's doing on the other sideline. So focus on the task at hand. Don't worry about them worry about you worry about what you can control and don't let your emotions get to the point where you're allowing whether it's perception or reality what's happening with the other coach cloud your judgment to do what's best for your team yeah because a lot of times i mean when you go against those those rival coaches if they're getting on the 
referees. I think at times, you know, it makes you feel like, well, I've got to get on the referee. They're doing that same thing. And then the next thing you know, you're more worried about one-upping them and what you're saying to the officials, and you've lost track of what you can control, if you will, and that's coaching your team and doing the best job you can do there because you're worried about one-upmanship and, you know, the whatever the case may, might be in that that heated moment. And that's just something that if you go down that path, um, you lose who you are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. 1,000% agree with you there, buddy. So uh, I have one more thing left. What do you got, Tony? I've got one more, too. Mine was kind of the same vein as what you were talking about. Mine was more like not necessarily getting wrapped up when Coach Smith's doing, but like what their crowd is saying mm-hmm. or what maybe was said on social media or different things that go along those lines is that, Hey, you can't control that stuff. You know, you can control your attitude. You can control your effort and stuff like that. And just really making sure that the message that you're, you're sending to your team is to focus on the task at hand. You can't control what somebody said about you on the message board. You can't control upon what they, you know, if you shot an air ball and every time you touch it after that, their crowds chant an air ball or whatever the case may be. If you get, you know, if you get preoccupied with the past, it is going to lead to you having failure in the present. And so you've got to, to be able to hone in, to lock in, if you will, on the task at hand. That was that was my last one. And, and I think that's a, that's a great point. You know, kind of like you said, stay in the moment, locked in. I'm going to take that a step further, Tony. And, and my last bullet point for, for this week's discussion is don't let one game affect the next game. Uh, you get a big win. You you know that game's over with that that's done, uh, and so you have to move on from it. If you lose, you can't have a wake for that game for a week, two weeks, whatever it may be. You can't put so much emotion into one game that if you win it, you lose focus on what's going to happen uh, the next game or two, and you also uh, can't put yourself in a situation where if you don't win that you've lost the next game or two because you're feeling bad about that last one it's you have to have that steadiness that and, and that's something that you have to build up to and i i talked about kelly and, and and south sioux city you know we really tried to uh when we kind of started breaking through a little bit against them and and it was a combination of a couple things they were not as good and we got better okay i mean you know, there there's certain things that happen, but I remember when we we beat them in the regular season one time, and and we smoked them pretty bad. I mean, we were up, we were up about thirty, um, which never happened. We and we were really good. We were really good that year, and we played awesome that day. That was probably one of our top two or three games of the year. So we, you know, it it, it happened, and. And one of the things that I did when when we were up 28, 27, 28, 29 with four or five minutes left, I called a 30-second timeout, and I said, we didn't talk about anything X's and O's wise. I said, girls, the game is over. Starters, I'm going to take you out here in about 30 seconds. The next dead ball or two, I'm going to take you out. Do not gloat. Do not make a big deal out of this. This is what we were supposed to do. You're going to come off the bench, and we're going to handle it like professionals. We'll celebrate in the locker room. But for everybody here, we're going to act like this is what was supposed to happen. And you other kids, when you get into the game, you're going to play hard. We're going to play consistent. We're not going to press. We're not going to run it up. We're not going to do this. 
And, and that's the way that we chose to handle it. And I think that if, if you're in that situation, I think that's, again, I'm a little bit biased, but I think that's a good way to handle that when you, when you do get that big win over a rival. And especially if you have a chance to, to, to be in control, like we were that particular night. Um, and, and, and so, and then we came back two days later and we won the conference championship because I think we, we stayed focused instead of just dwelling on how awesome this win was against this great program. No, we still had more to do. We, and, and we, and that's the, that's where we immediately shifted focus. Um, it kind of harkens into what's happened here the last 48 or about 72 hours now, Tony, what happened with the Miami heat where they lost this heartbreaking game six and the first thing that Spolster comes out, he says, you know, we're looking forward to the competition at Game 7. We're all right. We're ready to go. We got one game. We're great with our backs against the wall. You know, master class in handling a tough yes. situation. Um, and the crazy thing, I mean, you had guys in Miami, thinking of LeBron specifically, that wanted to run Spolstra. They wanted to get rid of him. Yeah. And you could make an argument right now he's the best coach in the NBA. And part of that goes back to what you were talking about, how he handled – the getting the gut punch with a tenth of a second left in Game Six, and then they go and they they handle the Celtics on their home floor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So great job, uh, great job by the uh, you know the, the the Heat, and and we'll get into that here in just a little bit here. So uh, anything else on our on our major topic of the day, Tony? I like what you said in terms of you know the timeout and how to handle it. I kind of look at it as people you know when they score a touchdown. Do they flip the ball to the official, go to the sideline, act like they've been there before, or do they do some wild celebration that you just kind of sit back and scratch your head on? And so I, I like that analogy that you gave there um, with that one as well. But, no, I think that was, was really good advice on to your team there, the fact that, hey, you know, and one of the things that's always a challenge when you have a big win, you know, depending upon where you're at in the regular season, like, hey, Let's don't have this be the highest of our highs this year. Let's handle this well, and let's make sure we've got some bigger fish to fry. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely agreed there. Definitely agreed there. Sorry, we had a little technical malfunction there, Tony. So I just didn't know if you were trying to kick your door in or something. No, it's it's been kind of a chaotic recording process here today. So uh, we've been trying to figure a lot of things out. But uh, coaches, do you want to look good? Stupid question. Of course you want to look good. We all want to look good. You know what's the best way to look good? Buying yourself some a pen and a napkin merchandise. We've got some really, really good looking stuff here. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts and you are not going to regret picking that up. T-shirts are $22 a piece. Sweatshirts are $30 a piece. If I need to mail it to you, it's just $5 shipping and handling to get this good looking stuff out to you. Coaches, I appreciate all that you've done for me over the last three years or so with a pen and a napkin. I hope I've been able to help you out. Might as well come out and help out the Twitter handle and the podcast by ordering some a pen and a napkin merchandise. And like I said, you get to look good. If you're interested in ordering, you can DM me on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, send me a direct message, or you can email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, and I'll get you those ordering details so that you can order some a pen and a napkin merchandise. You know, Tony, there's there's some things that you don't have to figure out. You know what one of them is? Who the greatest rock band ever is.
only because I don't have copyright uh, status with Molly Hatchet. We go with Europe. We go with Europe. <laughs> I don't know why we can't get the legal things to come together with Molly, but uh, it is what it is. I tell you what, as soon as those guys in the Marshall Tucker band lawyered up, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> Those Marshall Tuckers. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a little bit chaotic here behind the scenes, but we're getting through it here. We are bringing this to you. It's time for us to bring our, our yet-to-be-named trivia, uh, <laughs> trivia question. <laughs> it is still up for corporate sponsorship. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, <laughs> we, we have our preference, but... Um, not, not one wife, but both wives said, bad idea, bad idea. Don't do it. So we chose not to do it. We have enough common sense. suckers. Yeah, I know. So, all right, Tony, are you ready for trivia this week, my friend? Uh, sure. Okay. All right. So as we said, uh, the NBA, uh, finals are now set, uh, Miami and Denver and, uh, Miami is making history uh, as as a very low seed, an eight seed. And I started doing a little research, Tony. This actually took me like five or six minutes to put together. Um, I, I doubled and triple checked it here. All right, I went back in NBA history in the history. I think this is the seventy sixth or seventy seventh edition of the finals. And I was very curious. Uh, one of the great things that it's uh, that's been about these playoffs has been its unpredictability. You know, there's been a lot of stuff that has happened. It's had a little, not quite an NCAA tournament feel to it, but a bit, a bit more than usual anyway. Mm-hmm. And not as chalky. Not as chalky, yes. There you don't, don't have that chalky taste. And I went back. In NBA history, Tony, I went and I thought, hmm, with Miami's run here, how many, you know, how many low seeds have at least made the final. So here's the trivia question for the week, Tony. How many seeds that were seeded fourth or lower have made the NBA finals since its inception? I think I can't remember 1946, 1947-ish, somewhere around there. This is a good one. There's okay. no way in the world. Well, you got three guesses. You got three guesses. Three guesses. All right. I'm going to start low. Let's go with 15. That is too high. Too high. Too high. Let's go with 10. You are the master. I am simply the servant. Wow. I pulled that one out of my rear end. Yeah, yeah. I hope it didn't hurt. Um <laughs> So, four seeds or lower to make the NBA Finals. Uh, We've had one, two, three, four, five. We've had five four seeds. The Boston Celtics in 1969. The Seattle Supersonics in 1978. Was that Jack Sigma? That was Jack Sigma and the beautiful permafro going on there. So, Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2018. Okay. The Boston Celtics in 2010, and the Dallas Mavericks in 2006. Those are the five 
four seeds four to, to make the NBA Finals. The only five seed to ever make the NBA Finals are your Miami Heat in the bubble in 2020. <laughs> there has been two six seeds that have made the Finals, both of them the same franchise, the Houston Rockets. Uh, in 1981, Never underestimate the art of a champion. You betcha. 1981 and 1995, the Rockets made the finals as a six seed, and that 95 team is the lowest seed ever to win an NBA championship as a six seed. And then, of course, two eight seeds: the Knicks in the '99 lockout season, and then last night with the Heat here in 2023. Interesting. Yeah. So. I was surprised. I thought there would be more, especially like in the early part of the NBA, that there might yeah. be more of that. But unless you, <clears throat> unless you're a three seed or above, uh, that's that's kind of where the line is drawn. So uh, on average, but you know, things can change. So times are changing. Yeah. So uh, the finals Here's are set. My question for you. Okay. I'm going Nuggets. Are you going over, under four and a half games? Over. For the Nuggets to win it. You're going over. Over. Yeah. Yeah. I think the How Nuggets are going to win it. taken? One or two? <sighs> one and a half. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not going to get swept. Um and and again, you know, just like last night, the the Celtics have all the momentum in the world, and Tatum rolls his ankle on the very first play of the game, and it kind of, I don't know if the Celtics shoot better or shoot worse. I mean, they can't shoot worse, but but Jokic turns his ankle or does something. I mean, that changes everything, you know. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, but I think the Nuggets are the better team. I I I put out something on Twitter. Uh, looks like the Nuggets are going to win. You know, about eighty-five percent of the folks voted for the Nuggets. Um, so, I think that they're going to win. Uh, I'm going I'm to call it a gentleman's sweep, um, just because Game Five will be in uh, Denver. Because uh, they're doing. If, if it was still the two-three-two, I'd say Nuggets in six. I'm going to say Nuggets in five. Uh, I, I just think they've they've got a really tough matchup with Jokic. I, I think now I'm not gonna. I would be surprised, Tony, but I am not going to be stunned if the Nuggets drop Game One. In that they haven't played in nine days, and rest versus rest. Yes, and and sometimes, especially when you're dealing with with fellas that since September or October are used to playing a game every other day, and to get this massive nine day layoff, sometimes that can be too much. And and I could see Miami just kind of rolling in there and going, hey, we're just kind of rolling. We're going to kind of do our thing, and and they go from there. Uh, but I think in the long term, I, I just think Jokic is going to be too much. I think Jamal Murray is is really good. I I've said it before. The Nuggets have been the most consistent team. They know who their seven or eight guys are. Now I I think Spolstra is so good, and I mean he showed he showed it again last night. Um, nothing, nothing against Joe Missoula, uh, but 
And again, Joe Missoula is not making any shots, just like you and I, Tony. Uh, coaches get way too much blame when when shots don't go in or things like that. But uh, um, you know, Spolstra was just a step ahead, um, and and he he just got his team going. And and so I'm going to say Nuggets in five. That's my prediction. I, I would go with that. Um, I could see. You know, I just think that the Heat are going to be on fumes as they go into Denver. It'll be a, a close first game. I think the, the Nuggets pull it out in the end. I see the Nuggets winning fairly comfortably game two. Um, I think Miami gets the first one in Miami, and then Denver gets game four and then finishes them off in five. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't shock me if it was a sweep. But Miami is a very, very proud franchise. Obviously, they got a great culture. If, uh, you know, they're going to get Hero back at some point, I don't know if that that helps or hurts because of the (laughs) chemistry thing. I think Tyler will definitely be coming in off the bench. You can't play him as a starter. Um, I see Caleb Martin is just blossoming. Uh, I think he had the most points of an undrafted player in a a conference finals in history. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as far as things go there. Uh, And then Duncan Robinson's playing well. I just, I think... Jokic is a tough matchup. Jamal Murray is a tough matchup. Yeah. I just think Denver, their identity, and like you said, they've been playing well, but sometimes the only thing I, I could see is the the whole rust thing. And there's going to be some rust. I yeah. just, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Well, I think like the, the thing that Miami has really, you know, has, has really controlled here has been they've played a lot of zone. And I think Jokic is going to be like, Okay, boom, 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 layup, boom, 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 wide open three. You know, one of the things as you watched Boston, they had some guys that could really shoot, but they could not, they they were not a very good team in creating, other than Tatum, they had guys that just had trouble creating their own shot. Um, you know, you know, Jalen Brown just struggles to, to, to handle the ball and, and, yeah. and create, and again, Jalen Brown's a billion times better basketball player than I ever was. And I'm, I'm not saying that he's not terrific because he is a great player, but that's one thing that he just has struggled with as a, as an NBA player. And Marcus Smart is not a creative offensive player, you know, and, and, and so when they got away from that defensive identity, that defense first identity, and then creating easy baskets off of your, off of your defense for your offense. And then they, you know, they kind of just read into the math a little bit too much. I think sometimes analytics can be very, very useful. I think in the Celtics line of things, I, I think it became harmful. And the stat was pretty apparent when they shot 40%, they were going to win when they didn't shoot 40%, they were going to at, at best be 500. And, and, you know, it, it happens sometimes, Tony, it's just like in baseball. Sometimes your bats go silent at the wrong time of the year and their, their shooting just went blank and Miami kept making plays. Um, Miami, you know, Bam got going. Like you said, Caleb Martin was magnificent throughout that whole series. Uh, Lowry played well. Uh, Gabe Vincent played well. You know, they, th- those pieces just fit together better. And Miami knew what their identity was, and Boston kind of fell away from their identity. Um, and and I think that's that's the reason why Miami's still playing. And Joe was put in a tough spot. You know, oh, absolutely. Anytime you become coach less than a week before the season begins, um, obviously they had lost the top assistant who had taken the Utah job, but 
you know, I, I give you some thoughts with Joe that, that were concerning. Um, number one, the zone offense was was bad. Yeah. I mean, you can't set high ball screens. That's not a zone offense. It might be a look here and there, but it can't be your go-to. And then on top of that, you brought up the whole lack of identity on the defensive end. Uh, Udoka very much, they were really, really elite on the defensive end, and they slipped tremendously with Joe. I don't think it's going to cost him his job. If they had got swept, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I think he's going to have to agree to at least one, if not two new assistant coaches mm-hmm. on his staff that are going to be X and O guys. They're going to be defensive identity and a little bit more involved with the offense because it looked a lot of times like it was like, hey, we're going to throw it to you, go make a play in – that's just not how Boston's designed, and they shot a lot of threes and unfortunately shot themselves out of games at times. Yeah, here's what I put on Twitter last night after the game. Downfall of the Celtics, if you ask me. Great shooters, but not creators other than Tatum. Got away from defensive first identity. Coaching staff decimated by attrition. And yeah. Yeah, I think all three of those things are true. And then the fourth thing, Miami Heat, comfortable with their identity. Playing zone, role players stepping up, playing through Butler. You know? And the other thing, too, to keep in mind, and I think you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier with with uh, Denver, is Denver is the best zone offensive team from a point-per-possession standpoint. So if Miami tries to go to zone, they're not going to look like they don't have a clue, uh, and I think I think they'll make them pay for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think, the, I think you're right. So I, I think it's a tough matchup for Miami, but hey, you know, it's it's best of seven, you know, and, and all that other yep. stuff that has happened. Uh, you can kind of throw out the door. You can throw out the window, and uh, you can throw out any other place that you would like to throw it out of. Hog house, hen house, outhouse. <laughs> my best, there's my best Tommy Lee Jones right there. So there you go. If you know that reference, I admire you. You are a, you are fit for a pen and a napkin. So um, <laughs> we'll see where it takes us. We'll see where it takes us. So um, anything else this week, Tony? No, I think we touched on some good things there. Gave a lot of a lot of things to think about in terms of how to treat those rivals and how to conduct yourself in in preparation for those those showdowns. All right, buddy, I agree. Great job as always. Uh, episode number forty, uh, coaching against uh, rival coaches. Uh, great job by by Tony. It was really good stuff that we shared here. Hopefully, you enjoyed what we went through. Um, Tony, enjoy school tomorrow. Um, have, have a good time with that the rest of the week, buddy. So, um, now I'll be back in school like on August 7th or August 8th and you'll still be on vacation. So it evens out in the end. I mean, it, it eventually, does, eventually it does. So, uh, but, uh, no great stuff here. If you have any questions for Tony and I, you can DM Tony, uh, at Tony Davis on Twitter. You can DM me at a pen and a napkin. You can email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, just, just let us know if you, if you got anything to add to this and hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.